0: song will be why keep Jesus waiting can't tell you how neat it is and cool it is for my son-in-law to lead singing locally where I'm preaching you don't know how weird it is for me to use the term son-in-law even after two and a half years but it is a wonderful and neat experience to be in a family of God with your physical family. And uh, if you have that on a regular basis, you should count yourself honored. And that is a treasure because a lot of us, for most of our lives, don't have that. And uh, it is a privilege to be able to worship together. We're going to continue our series this morning uh, entitled Four Friends We All Need. And uh, we began last week by talking about the need that we have for friends Like Nathan, that is, friends, who will rebuke us, who will stand in our path and tell us that's not how we should act, not how we should react, it's not the way we should live. I want to turn our attention in a more positive vein this morning, and I want us to think about a friend of encouragement. One writer once said, flatter me and I will not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. I think all of us have someone in our lives, either past or present, who when we think about encouragement, when we think about building up, we think about making us feel better about who we are and about where we're at, that, that image, that person, that name comes to mind and comes to heart. question would be for us this morning, does, does, are we the person others think about when that's needed? I want you to think with me this morning about, about a man named Joseph about a man named Joseph. Now, I don't want you to think about the Joseph of Genesis who was sold by his brothers into slavery and ended up being God's vessel of, of deliverance for the seed line of Jesus in Genesis 39 and following. I don't want you to think about Joseph, the carpenter of the Gospels, who was the earthly father of Jesus and raised him as his son. I don't want you to think this morning about Joseph of Arimathea who was a disciple of Jesus and who boldly went to Pilate and asked for the body, prepared it for burial, and placed the body of Jesus in his own new tomb. I don't want you to think about Joseph as one of the two who was considered to replace Judas as the disciple or the apostle after Judas's departure. Late, later he was rejected in favor of, of Matthias. I don't want you to think about the Joseph that was contemporary with Ezra and Nehemiah as if we remember that Joseph at all. Or the Joseph who was the father of Egal or the son of Asaph. I want us to think about another Joseph in Scripture. Joseph who was a close companion of the Apostle Paul. A man who gave generously to the point of even giving out of his perhaps poverty to the point of that, in giving. A man who who Luke wrote numerous times about in the book of Acts, a man who was famous in church history, a defender of those who were outcast, showed faith in people when others seemed to be leery of including or even trusting them. This man was even there when the disciples were first called Christians. Now the reason that we don't know this Joseph as Joseph is because he's only mentioned as Joseph once in all the New Testament. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4 for just a moment. He is a Joseph among Josephs. He is in that list. He would make that if you were listing the Josephs in Scripture. But very quickly after Luke introduces us to him by the name Joseph, he changes that, doesn't he? Now, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, birth, verse 36, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. You see, the friend we all need is a friend like Barnabas. Now, if you know Barnabas' story, then you already know why that's true. And, and I, I would take for granted that at least the majority of us in here have heard his name. We've heard at least a portion of his story. But when you put everything in Scripture that's said about him together, he becomes outside, I believe, of Jesus Christ, the greatest encourager in Scripture. In fact, this man is pretty important. His name is mentioned 27 times past Acts 4.36. 27 times as Barnabas. Now, if you'll you'll do some comparison with me for a moment, that's 24 times. That's three more times than the 24 times Timothy's name is mentioned in Scripture. Silas is mentioned 17 times. Apollos is mentioned 10 times. John Mark is mentioned eight times. And yet those individuals rise to the top of our understanding and our our appreciation of men who, who worked and lived and functioned in the first century as encouragers, as preachers, as teachers. And yet Barnabas is found in Scripture more than any of those and sometimes combined more than a number of those together that change of name to son of encouragement or son of consolation. Don't miss the divine significance of that name. The Bible reveals to us in Romans chapter 15 and verse 5 that God is the one who gives encouragement. That's the same word. When The Holy Spirit was promised in in John 14 and John 16 upon which Jesus went back to heaven. The disciples were told they would be guided in all truth. The Bible says... According to Jesus' words, that he would send a comforter for them. That's the word, the same word. It's a divine characteristic, it's a, it's a divine reflection. It's something that only can originate with God Himself. And this man, only, by, only mentioned by his given name once, is from that point on known as a nickname. Anybody here have a nickname? Just, just by show of hands, do you have a nickname? Is the story behind which you got it something that you are proud of or excited about and would like to share with everybody? Probably not. Maybe so. Maybe it isn't bad, but it's maybe somewhat embarrassing. Maybe it's when you were a child or you did something that, 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 that brought embarrassment or, or, or you did something that made everyone laugh, and all of a sudden you got stuck with that name. I think about James and John being called the sons of thunder in the New Testament. I would dare say that they wouldn't have selected that nickname for themselves because it was a reference to the fact that they wanted to call down fire and destroy the enemies of God and, and, and enact vengeance. And then they became known as the sons of thunder because of that. But this man's nickname, it becomes how we recognize him. It becomes why we appreciate him. It becomes what we want to be in being like him. And so I want us to think about this idea of encouragement from the life of Barnabas. In particular, in particular, as it relates to or because of the current climate in our world today. I think it's right to say that without Nathans in the church, the church would not be what it ought to be, right? Is that, fair? is that a fair assessment? We need individuals to confront us. We need them to tell us when we're wrong. We need them to encourage our repentance so that we can be right before God. But I would also say as equally so is true of men and women who act like Barnabas. The church will never be what it ought to be until it has people in it who are constantly concerned about the welfare and the spirit of other people, who don't want them to be down, who don't want them to be discouraged, who don't want them to be outcast, who don't want them to feel bad about themselves, but want to constantly draw near to their side to prop them up and lift them up when they're down. I say in light of our current climate because the world is difficult and the Christian place in the world is unique in every generation and ours even more so maybe than some in the past see there's a lot going against us right now isn't there I mean if if you're if you're participating via live stream then you can't see what I see, and it actually see more people here this morning than, than I thought I would by the email that was sent out and the, and the situation that's going on. However, just the very numbers of people that can gather right now, just the very numbers of, of people that can come to Bible class, that, that can be a part of, 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 of things outside the building, but together with the church is, is significantly lower. And that alone works against us, friends. Like it or not, Whether we want to embrace that or not, it works against our call to be a collective people for the cause of Christ in a local city. It hurts us. You add to that the number of things that have have sort of just inched their way into the church that have divided us over the last 12 years or 4 years or 9 months. The, 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 the declarative statements, the, the, the planting of our flag, the, the standing of our ground, where we're going to be and what we're going to be to the detriment or disregard of anyone else. How does the church respond in moments like that? I think that, that, that Peter's generation felt it. They were a people persecuted mightily. And toward the end of that, that book, he tells them, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 4, the end of all things is near... Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. He said hard times are coming. In fact, the end of it is near. I don't know if he meant the end of the Jewish state, if he meant the end of time, if he meant the end of their persecution, if he meant the end of their personal lives, but they were in the throes of persecution and difficulty, and one of the, the most normal reactions amongst people, among people that are being pressured is to turn inward and to turn against one another. Maybe not in, in a super aggressive way, but in the picking at and discarding and discrediting and not believing and not supporting, because after all, we all have some different views about some different things, right? Maybe they debated in, in Peter's day over how to handle the persecution, of how to respond to Nero, of how, how to deal with the Roman Empire. And he says, listen, as you deal with those things in life, you remember to put love for one another above everything else or else your place in the world will be lost. We think about the way the world, the way the church rather responds and has responded in recent days. Do terms like these bring an automatic response in your mind? I'm not asking for the response out loud. Please don't give it. All right? Uh, maybe for another time in another place, but not now. Terms like riots and looting and lockdowns, black lives and blue lives, Republicans and Democrats, Antifa, Proud Boys, gun control, national debt, amnesty, quarantine. Do those terms elicit in you a, a response? Maybe even a, 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 a staunch one? So what happens if, if I verbalize mine and then on the other side of the aisle, in, in, in the same religious group that I'm in, someone else staunchly has another opinion that's the, just opposite of mine. Where, where will the church land if that's all we ever are? I'm not suggesting that we try to change each other's minds unless it's a scriptural matter. What I'm suggesting is that in moments like that, the church needs to be lifted up by even those that we disagree with and encouraged and strengthened we need men like Barnabas now that's going to come to play in Barnabas's life in the last major episode we have in scripture of him and yet we never find the animosity we never find the tearing now what we find is the building up and the encouragement we all need men like Barnabas and so for just a few minutes very quickly I want to look at what he did Because that's the historical side of it. And we'll make some points. We'll look at some scriptures and and consider those matters together. In fact, if if you're not already there, we're going to begin in Acts chapter 4 and look at the things that he did in his life that stand out to us. And then we want to sum that up or, 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 or synthesize all that by looking at how it made people feel. So I believe that's very, very important when it comes to encouragement. Encouragement is about how I feel. It's not always about the reality of things, is it? A person could get a diagnosis of cancer, stage four, six months to live, and they can leave a scenario where they're with another Christian and they can feel encouraged, although it doesn't change their circumstance. But I believe Barnabas was a man who no matter the circumstance could, make you, could leave that situation, you would feel better about who you were and where you were in Christ regardless of the circumstance. That's what we're talking about. But first we need to review the things uh, that he did. He did some things. He was a doer. He he was an encourager. You know, James 2, 14 and following give a a, a very bleak picture of of an individual who believes that saying you should be encouraged is enough or by saying I encourage you. Remember the illustration? Can can you just say be warmed and filled and a man be warmed and filled? Now, that's only an illustration in James 2. It's It's not really talking about helping the needy. It's an illustration of what faith without works looks like. It looks like a man who sees a starving person and walks by and says, hope you get some food. Well, in encouragement, sometimes we're that way. We see somebody down, we see somebody crying, we see somebody struggling, we walk and put our arm around and say, hope you feel better. Me and mean well, but until we put those words into action, we'll never be Barnabas. He did some things. All right, let's look at the things that he did. Number one, he, he risked his wealth. He risked his wealth. All of these will be under that idea of of taking a chance. That's what Barnabas did. He took a chance on people. He risked his wealth. Remember the the introduction story in his life to us. It's it's found in verse 36 and verse 37. We've already looked at who he is and and, and what he was called. But verse 37 says, And he owned a tract of land, and he sold it. And he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Question, why did he do that? What was his his point? What was his purpose? Was was it just because he needed a tax right off? Was it because it was that time of year when it was time to give? Was it because it was just always in his possession and power to give all that he had? No. There was a particular need in Jerusalem, wasn't there? Saints were, were suffering primarily because many of them had come there for Pentecost and never gone home. They had been converted to Christ and now they needed a livelihood. They needed support. They needed someone to be there for them. And so It was common in that day for them, for individuals in the church to bring a a monetary donation, lay it at the apostles' feet, and then they would distribute it out as people had need. Barnabas knew that. And so he gave. He took land that he owned, he sold it, and he gave it. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to us on the surface, but I think there are a couple of things that need to be remembered about this. Number one is there was no divine command for it to happen like this. Remember when Ananias and Sapphira sort of did the same thing, wanting the, the 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 accolades and, and response that Barnabas got, and, and Peter told them when it was in your possession. Remember what he says: it was in your power to do what you wanted to with it. God didn't demand they sell their property. This was free will offering. Now, was he taking a chance that he would activate God's grace in his life? God said to, to you know that those who give will be given to. Was, was he suggesting that maybe I, I'm going to test that in, in, in God's plan and I'm going to give and I'm going to give and I'm going to wait for God to give back? I'm not suggesting that would be wrong, but we don't know. When you realize there was no command. Number two, this is important because of his heritage. Did you notice what tribe he was from? Barnabas was a Levite. Do you know that historically his ancestors didn't even own land? They couldn't. By, by, by law of, uh, of Moses and, and, and the division of the land at the conquering, God gave all the other tribes land. He didn't give the Levites. He gave them some cities, but they didn't have land. Now, I know the Levite in the New Testament was a little bit different than the Levite in the Old Testament. I don't know how long it had been going on in Barnabas' life, but according to biblical understanding, this man's family didn't have land. Now he does. Maybe he's the first in his family to ever own land first in his family to ever have property, to have somewhere to call his own, somewhere to, to where he could retire. And he takes that track of land that may be common to us to own, but not to him and his family. And he sells it. And he gives those things. That is an encouraging individual, right? You see, if I have 10 tracts of land, and I give one of those tracts, and it's been historically known in my family that we own land and property, and I go take one of those ten of the many that my family has owned through the years, and I give that, that sacrifice doesn't seem to be nearly as much as a man whose family historically didn't own it and now could sell it. Now, I will say this, while this may not seem unique to us, it is unique, isn't it? Do you know of anyone who gives like this now? you know of anyone today currently who... Who, who approaches their work in Christ and their encouragement of others in this fashion? So-and-so needs something, so I'm going to take something out of my closet and I'm going to go sell it and I'm going to go hand the money to them? That is a pretty abnormal thing, isn't it? You now I, I know all the stories, and, and I've heard them here, and it's phenomenal. I've heard how the, the land and the money for McCarty was gotten. You know, it was gotten very much like what Barnabas did. I've heard the stories about Camp Pencil and, and, and things that are done. And I've often wondered, if we didn't have any of those things today, could we ever have them 10 years from now? Does the church function like that today, like it did then? We talk sometimes about the, the church in the, in the 50s and the 60s and the 40s being the fastest growing religion in, in our nation, Right? And we say, well, we don't evangelize like we used to. We, we don't discipline like we used to. We don't teach like we used to. Maybe we don't give like we used to. There are very few people that are selling portions of land and giving an entire heritage so that some function of the church can continue into the next generation. But that's what encouraging people do. He risked his wealth. Number two, Barnabas was a man who risked his reputation. And he did so in two different groups of people. The verses there on the screen. One found in chapter 9 of Acts. The other found in chapter 11. And if you'll remember, just for time's sake, what happened in both of those instances is Paul needed to be confirmed and Barnabas served as his confirmation. In fact, the Acts 9 reference says in the verse before it that the disciples were afraid of Paul. They didn't believe he had converted. They weren't convinced that this once- persecutor of Christians, the one who had ordered their deaths, had actually turned. In fact, what they believed was he's just trying to get on the inside. He's trying to get an inward look at who we are, know all of our names so he can take us to prison and put us to death. And Barnabas, a man all the way back in chapter 4 now who's known as an encourager, he's now got a reputation, goes and puts his name on the line and says, You need to trust Paul but it wasn't the only time he did it for Paul. Over in chapter 11, when the church in Antioch began to to, to form their their mission plans and and do the things that God would have them to do, you know who it was who went back and got Paul? It was Barnabas. And he brought Paul to Antioch and said, here's a man you can trust. Here's a man you can count on. He said, "I, I don't know that we ever get a full picture of Paul's reaction to that. But I'll tell you what, it means the world to me when someone that I think the world of says, I believe in Wayne Jones. I trust him. I'll vouch for him. Because you know what? There's not a lot of people out there like that anymore. There, There are not a lot of people like that in the church. In fact, what we try to do is hey, that's your business. You need to talk it out with him. I don't know everything about his past, so maybe you need to sit down with him and find out about it. Listen, as Christians, we need to vouch for other Christians rather than suspect and hold them at bay. That's what encouragers do, even to the point of our own reputation. So what if, what if Barnabas had been wrong? What if he had been mis- mistaken? I believe he still would have gone down as a man who thought the best when others wanted to discard and discredit I believe there's a sense in which that ought to fuel us in the same way. I I honestly would rather be fooled by someone who isn't what they claim to be than to reject a man or a woman because I suspect they're not. Those are encouragers. He risks his reputation. Then finally, he risks his legacy. Turn over to chapter 15 for just a moment. Now, there's been an interesting occurrence from chapter 11 to chapter 15. That is that Paul and Barnabas have gone out to preach the gospel. They, they were, they were the, the missionaries, the apostles, if you will, sent out from Antioch to share the gospel all over the world to continue that, that, that Acts 1-8 outline to take the gospel in the uttermost parts of the earth. Barnabas continues on that track, if he continues in that vein, if he's Paul's companion, imagine how many times his name will be mentioned on the pages of Scripture. wouldn't be just 27. If, if Barnabas was Paul's lone traveling companion, from that moment forward, he would have went down in history as maybe the greatest man in the early church outside of the apostles. But Something happened between chapter 11 and chapter 15, and that is they had taken a young man named John Mark family member Barnabas on this journey and he had turned back and we can debate and speculate and wonder and argue over why he turned back but he turned back so in chapter 15 the Jerusalem council is over it's time for Paul and Barnabas to go back out and Barnabas says hey I think we need to take John Mark with us now I want you to think about where that put him in the overall scheme of his life, he's doing for John Mark the very same thing he did for Paul in Acts 9 and the very same thing he did for Paul in Acts 11. He knows that Paul is leery of John Mark now. And so he says, hey, I think we need to take him. And Paul says, I don't think we do. And Barnabas, in essence, says, I think we ought to. And Paul digs in his heels and says, I don't think that we we should. In fact, the, the Bible reveals to us that there was a sharp contention among them that they argued, that they they fought over that. So what happened? Barnabas allowed Paul to walk on, find somebody else, and he took the outcast and he went preaching. You know what we don't find in the rest of the New Testament pages? We don't find everywhere that Barnabas and John Mark went. We don't find the churches that they established or the letters that they wrote back to them or the confirmation that they, they would do on a return trip to validate these people's faith. Well, we don't get any of that. Barnabas's legacy, in effect, ends here. And I believe he's okay with that. Because he wanted to encourage someone who everyone else had cast out. That's what an encourager does. That, that's what he did. Now, how do those actions make people feel? Very, very quickly. Let's consider, number one, someone treats me that way. I feel like your trouble is my trouble or my trouble is your trouble, however you want to to, to frame that. I never feel like I'm alone if I'm in the presence of an encourager. They take it upon themselves. That's what Barnabas did, right? He was a supplier. You see, in Jerusalem, Barnabas didn't want. Barnabas wasn't hungry. Barnabas owned land. Barnabas had money. But their problem became his problem. And friends in the Lord's church, that's exactly the way it ought to be. Now, I know that works both ways, doesn't it? If, if I'm going to encourage someone, they're going to have to let me encourage them. If I'm going to help someone with their problems, I'm going to have to know what their problems are. But we're not talking about it from the vantage point of the one who needs encouragement this morning, but from one who are supposed to be encouraging How diligent are we in making sure that the problems of our brethren are our problems? How much do we make that a priority in our lives? Or are we satisfied when an answer is given, I'm okay, I'm all right, everything's fine. But the look on that person's face, the the, the, the trajectory of their life, the disposition of, of, of their countenance, all of that says otherwise. When you're in the presence of a Barnabas, their trouble, your trouble, becomes their trouble. Number two, when I'm in the presence of a Barnabas, I really feel like I belong wherever Barnabas is. I really feel like I belong in that place. Now, Uh, Again, our world is strange and weird and difficult right now. If this building were were fuller, the application of this might be a little bit easier to make. But I, I hope that we have made the university family a place where people want to be. I say I hope we have because I was reading some statistics recently that suggested that the people who believe their congregation is friendly are people who have been there for five years or longer. If I were to ask, is university a a friendly place? Please don't shake or nod or anything. Just If I were to ask that that question, I feel like I would get a positive, encouraging response from anyone who's been here five or ten years. But do you know that there are people who visit here? There are people who move here. There are people who try to acclimate in to, to, to certain uh, age group settings or, or family group settings. And they will come to me and they will say, I just don't feel like I fit in. You know, no one really talks to me. Sometimes my, my automatic response, because I've been here longer than five, I've been here 13 years, and my automatic response is, this is one of the friendliest congregations I've ever been a part of. You know why? Because I've been here long enough. And I stayed through, the difficult relationships and and, and the hard times and and, and we forge things together and we work together, an encourager should make someone feel like family from day one. Do we do that? Is that our emphasis? Sometimes someone will say, well, I just, I don't have anything to do. I, I, I don't have a group to belong to. And someone will sort of snidely say, well, just listen to the announcements. We do things all the time. You know what? That individual who reads a list of announcements who's new, who has no close friends by name who they would see in the street or see in, 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 in the grocery store and, and have a quick conversation with, they're probably not going to insert themselves into those things. You know what somebody's going to have to do? Somebody has to go get them and bring them to Jerusalem or bring them to Antioch. We, we tend to not do that. I don't mean us generally. I mean people in general. We we are comfortable where we are. Listen, encouragers go outside of that and they make everyone feel like I really do belong here. Number three, encouragers help me realize that my mistakes don't define me. I'm not going to be judged by every mistake of my past. They don't define me. John Mark, it's possible if Paul has his way and John Mark is left at home and Paul, and Barnabas and Paul continue their journey, that John Mark will forever be defined by deserting and going home. But you and I know that later in Paul's life, as his life comes to a close, he calls for John, he calls for Mark to come to him because he's profitable at that moment. Why? First, it wasn't because of the time Paul invested in him. It was because Barnabas was the bridge. He, was, he, he, he filled in that gap. He offered encouragement when others wouldn't, and he would not allow John Mark's legacy to be defined by one action in, in a youthful fear or, a, or a, a, a family emergency or whatever was the reason he turned around. See, as Christians, we should never be defined by our past. Isn't that Right? Someone says, well, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I, I, I'm away from Christ. That's not, that doesn't define a Christian. A Christian is defined by his hope. I'm in Christ, defined by the one who gives all encouragement, the one who gives all consolation. I'm defined by what God has made me, not what I did years ago. In fact, not even what I did yesterday. I'm defined by my identity in Jesus Christ. And for that reason, then, I should see other Christians the same exact way. So you didn't get along with that person 10 years ago. So they hold a political belief that's different from yours. So they didn't grow up in Texas, right? We are, if we are to be one, to be a people not defined by our mistakes, but defined by the definition of our Savior, called by his name, collected in his body, honoring his death, and anticipating his return. we do that, we won't be defined by our mistakes. If we judge a fellow Christian on who they used to be before Christ saved them, shame on us and realize that to whom we don't show mercy, God will not show mercy. I believe every person on this earth needs a Barnabas. Someone to offer encouragement and strength. I believe every person in this room needs that. In fact, you might say, I've got somebody, you need another. You need somebody else. Well, I've got 10, well, 11's not going to hurt. Spouses, we need to be that for one another. Elders need to be that for the congregation. Preachers need to be that, and we need to be that for our elders and our preachers. The older generation needs encouragement. The younger generation needs encouragement. Young families, expectant families, those with young children, those with children that have left home, the nest is empty. We all need it. As much as we need Nathan, and maybe more so today we need Barnabas. Are you that for someone? Do you need that from someone? Whatever your need is, we invite you to come to Christ while we stand and while we sing.